This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning, Coach Hog, by golly. Here on a Monday morning, Coach Hog's locker room. We are, of course, brought to you by Melon Law. Melon Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Fighting Gators, who did not fight this weekend. They were off, as was their opponent for next weekend, off. They're all resting up, getting ready to go at it. Well, we're also brought to you by and protected by crime prevention 24-7, 365. And we've got, of course, our good friends um, who support us. Uh, Locasio Allstate is a lady here, homegrown, been here forever, and uh, has got full service, auto home, life, and retirement. We also have Coffee Caliber. Let me hold this up for you, see if you can see it. There you go. I think you can see it. Coffee Caliber. You can grind it up. Nine millimeter, this is called. This is medium roasted, whole bean. There you go. How about that? We partner with Lotro Chronicle. We get news together once in a while and share it with you. But I want to give a special shout out today to a guy. Listen, let me let me tell you something about the tire business. The tire business is becoming more and more franchised. And by that, I mean, when you call to maybe get a set of tires or this, that, one, another, <clears throat> you'll find that you'll get a command center that isn't anywhere near where you are. Located not even near the town. And they'll have to do all the looking up of what they got, what they can get, what they ain't got. Get your credit card. You don't know. And quite frequently, they don't think about tires. But they can send you to the place close to you. And more and more, like so many things in our business world, these tire places are being bought up by big, what can I say, outfits. Always support your local people. They are going to take care of you. They're going to know you on a first name basis. They're going to go the extra mile. You can actually walk up and shake their hand. And I want to recommend highly Funkhauser Tire in Alachua, Florida. Mr. Funkhauser has been on the corner there a long time. Knows lots of people. Yours truly just bought a whole new set of truck tires from Mr. Funkhauser last Friday. 
I cannot recommend any more emphatically or enthusiastically, I guess. If you need tires or brakes or anything like that, you go to Funkhauser Tire in Alachua. You tell them I sent you, okay? I want to give that pitch out to Mr. Funkhauser. Took tremendously good care of us Friday. Well, well, well. The more things change, the more, do they not, you've heard that before, of things stay the same. Except, not really in the game of football. And before I get into the game of football, which is really now the business of football, I want to call attention to yet another local person that you really can't support with business as much as you can watch and keep track of because this young man is amazing. He went to Buholz High School. He really didn't set out to be a tennis player. He's 6'4". He thought more about being a quarterback. But his dad, who was a very good pro player himself, was the coach of the University of Florida tennis team. Brian Shelton. His son, Ben, oh, you know, he was talented enough in high school. He could do all kinds of sports. But gradually, he began to focus more on tennis. And he went over to the University of Florida tennis team where his dad won coaching the University of Florida men's tennis team the national championship. Let me tell you something, that is no small feat. And Ben won the national championship as a singles player on the team. That is quite an accomplishment. Then, last year, Ben decided to try the pro tour with his dad as his coach accompanying him. And his dad retired or resigned as the University of Florida men's tennis coach to travel with his son. First place they traveled was down under to Australia, where Ben, at the time only 20 years old, made it to the quarterfinals. Well, guess what? It kept on from there. He kept beating guys that were out there longer than he on the pro tour. Already had rankings. High rankings. He made it to the semifinals of the U.S. Open. Where he lost it. The number one player in the world, right? Number two. Jakovic. People watching him because he can serve the tennis ball. Are you ready for this? 
at 150 miles an hour. I don't know how you can see a tennis ball that's hit at 150 miles an hour. And the guys he hits it to don't. They don't return it. They may whack at it, but it doesn't come back. Yesterday, or the day before, because there are different time zones, Ben Shelton won his first professional tournament, the Tokyo Open. He is now ranked number 14 in the world. I don't know. I really have thought about it. Maybe somebody knows something that tops it. You have got from this community, from this high school, from Buholz High School, just a regular kid, a great kid, who is now, and ain't it ain't gonna be the end, number 14 in the world. Right out of homegrown Buholz and the University of Florida. Already won well over a million dollars. That's just prize money on the tennis court. Already has endorsements. A great kid. If you're not now a tennis fan, you will become one when you watch this kid play. 6-4, left-handed, which drives opponents crazy because it has a different spin from what they're used to seeing. Serving 150 miles an hour, ground strokes over 100. Now you think of that. The top baseball pitchers right now are throwing it right at 100. You got serves coming at you well over 100. Round strokes at 100. And he can volley. He can come to the net. He also wins doubles tournaments. It's a remarkable story. It's probably the biggest local sports story, surely in Alachua County. Maybe even the biggest tennis story, and this is saying a lot, at least right now, in the state of Florida. And there are many excellent players training here in Florida, but they're not from Florida. They don't have a history of high school in Florida. And this young man did not, like the European people do whom he's playing, drop out of high school and go strictly to tennis academies. Andre Agassi did it that way here with Nick Boletari. Now, Ben went to regular high school, 
There are many facets to this that are really quite noteworthy. I wanted to put that in the story. In Coach Hogg's locker room today. Now, the biggest story going on in college athletics is name, image, and likeness, or the collective. I watched for about two and a half hours last week the congressional hearings on name, image, and likeness in collectives. People are trying to figure out what to do with it. And I thought I would share some of the comments from the New York Times article, which has begun, among other news outlets, to cover this story, because it is a big story. It is a story about the rapid rise of big dollar payments to student-athletes from so-called donor collectives. Now it has become one of the biggest issues in college sports. It has transformed how players are recruited. The New York Times is writing about this. And encouraged a form of free agencies for those looking to transfer. And because many of these groups, as the Times writes, are set up as charities or with charitable arms that make donations tax deductible, they are drawing scrutiny from the IRS. But as the congressional hearings reveal, the IRS is pretty much hands off. They don't have any direction because Congress doesn't have any direction. Now, one player, and it's difficult to get these numbers. This is in the Times article. I assure you they had to go to some trouble to get the number. One player at Michigan State University, one player, I don't know who it is, now makes 750000 a year, according to the group that pays him. At Ohio State University, which likes to call itself the Ohio State University, some players not only get a paycheck, they get a free car lease to boot, and that's courtesy of a donor collective. A car dealer and a booster for Ohio State is handing out to players Dodge Challengers. Now, this started, apparently, with a Supreme Court decision and a handful of state laws that made it illegal in 2021 for the NCAA to continue its long-standing prohibition on athletes making money from endorsements. You know, the Emmett Smiths of the world complained that when they were at the University of Florida, they wore 22. That was his number. 
He didn't make any money off 22. The University of Florida did. He wasn't the only player to complain about that. So in dropping the ban, the NCAA assumed that the result would be a way for the Emmett Smiths to get endorsement deals, uh, a cut of jersey sales or money, or acting, was well, a new word you have to learn, as social media influencers. So this is known as name, image, likeness. That's the arrangement. Now, parallel to this, a different model sprung up. And the collectives have effectively hijacked the NIL system to circumvent the NCAA's still-enforced ban on paying players. The collective system is a pay-for-play scheme, but it's designed as a name, image, or likeness. There are more than 120 collectives, including at least one for every school in each of the five major college football conferences. Now, the average starter at a big-time football program, are you ready for this? Now takes in about $103,000 a year. That's according to Open Doors, a company that processes payments to the players or the collectives. Open Doors said that just this year, it expects to process over $100 million in payments for athletes with about 80% of that money coming through the collectives. So that one player at Michigan State University makes $750,000 a year from a so-called donor collective. Now, also, transfer restrictions were loosened. No longer are athletes required to automatically sit out a year if they change schools. So the scale of the payments is tied to enticing them to come to such and such school. It has become the most important thing in recruiting. The most important thing to a program. When you see Florida play Georgia, the money in Georgia's athletes is much greater than the money in Florida's because of their strong collective. It is a very 
interesting can of worms that Congress is trying to get a grip on. And much of it has a lack of transparency. So it's hard for the athletes to gauge their worth on an open market. It has become the world's greatest game of liar's poker. Just this summer, Penn State's collective called Happy Valley United held a $2,000 a ticket fundraiser at a yacht club on the New Jersey shore. It featured an open bar, dozens of items up for auction, and the chance to mingle with both past stars and members of the current team who had flown in that afternoon from State College, Pennsylvania. One booster bid $20,000 for a dinner for 10 with some former state star players. Another paid $2,000 for a football autograph by Drew Aller, the team's sophomore quarterback, who tossed the ball to the winning bidder after he signed it. Now, Penn State lost to Ohio State. Big game this weekend. The NCAA has criticized collectives for favoring male athletes over female, favoring big schools over small ones, and even for backing out of deals with players. But there's no rules, no tools that they got right now to crack down because the collectives have not voluntarily put themselves under the NCAA authority. Therefore, the NCAA does not have subpoena power. Now, A question has come up whether or not the athletes should be employment, employees. And what I heard in the hearing was no. That opens all kinds of human resource issues. So right now, this is really the Wild West. You just call your buddies and round up a bunch of money, and you pay the football players. You don't even have to live in the state that you're giving the money to. There's a guy down here in Florida, and Florida's loaded with these guys, who's giving chunks of money to the collective in Michigan State. So it's the Wild West. Every campus has a collective if they want to be competitive. And it's a necessity. The Ohio State coach told his boosters that they would need to raise $13 million a year 
to assemble and maintain a championship team. Even Mark Stoops at Kentucky told his players, his boosters, to step up after his team got thumped by Georgia. He said that the Bulldogs, quote, bought some pretty good players, end quote. So now all this is a windfall for the players. They are really raking it in. NIL is the greatest wealth distribution in the history of the United States, says Jason Belzer, whose company runs collectives, since social security and welfare. He runs collectives at more than 40 schools. He says the majority of the money is going to young African-American males and from females and to females from lower socioeconomic strata. And it's coming from white, wealthy donors. Are you ready for that? Players who receive money from collectives said their paychecks helped relieve financial stresses. That scholarships did not. They could pay rent. They could fly their parents in for games. Or they can send money home. Tony Bradford Jr., who is a senior defensive lineman at Texas Tech, Their collective is called the Matador Club. Says he has 10 siblings, and he's the oldest. And he's get 25,000. The collective has raised 10 million. So these schools are ignoring Title IX, which is the federal law that requires colleges to provide equal treatment to male and female athletics and athletes. The average men's basketball player with a collective contract is paid 37000 The average woman player is paid 9000 Well, How long will it last? It's here for now. The IRS is hands-off. So far, Congress is hands-off. The collectives are basically turning the college sports world into a professional sports world which some argue it's always been because the universities made money off the Emmett Smith's 22s while the Emmett Smith's didn't. an interesting 
done. Where it's going to stop, we don't know. Last year, University of Florida is mentioned in this article, and I heard about this. I didn't broadcast it because I didn't have the data. The data is not easy to get. But last year, a collective at the University of Florida, I have some familiarity with the collective, promised a high school quarterback. Are you ready for this? Are you sitting down? Last year, a collective at the University of Florida promised a high school quarterback 13.85 million dollars then canceled the contract and that collective shut down there you are i had heard that but i had not reported it but now that the times has put it out there I think it's time to talk about it. That's Coach Hogg's locker room for the day. We're going to take Ward's Weatherby right back. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Thursday, November the 16th, come celebrate the release of our Spurrier's Gridiron Grill, Lugo's Risky Rum. This exclusive release features a special spread of our farm-to-table food, rum cocktails, raffles, and a meet and greet with me. Each ticket includes a bottle of Spurrier's Single Barrel Select Risky Rum. And I'll sign the bottle if you'd like. So get your ticket before they sell out at Spurrier's.com. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. 
Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, thanks. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather Report, brought to you by Lewis Oil, full-service Chevron station of fossil fuel. Well, 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 we're pretty mild right here. We're really enjoying some wonderful fall weather. But the first snow is getting ready to fall in Boston. And all that business is going to bring some snowy days to that area. But let me tell you what that means to hear. I have a friend who has called me because he's from the Jacksonville Beach area. He's been away for five years. He's come back. He couldn't recognize the east coast of Florida because of all the growth. He was blown away by all the people coming to Florida. You know, right now, they're complaining about a tough market for homeowners. Interest rates at 8%. 8% used to be normal. I remember when it went to 13, 15, 16. But interest rates don't mean anybody to home buyers in Florida. They're selling this junk up there in the Northeast and bringing that money down here and buying something nice and building something nice and got money left over. Now, we don't know what that's going to do to us politically. We hope they don't bring their Democrat policies here. But they're coming. And no matter what the, I, I would suggest to you, doesn't matter what the mortgage rates are. It's cheaper here to get out of the frozen north. To get out of the crazy immigrant rules, people on the streets, and combine that with the fact that the dollar doesn't have any value. Look, look at what people bought something for five years ago and have it on the market for today. Go to Zillow. Take a look at it. And you say, what's this got to do with the weather report? Well, look at the weather we've got here. Look at the weather. It's fixing to clobber. And we got some problems. 
We got insurance companies that don't want to insure us because of the storms. But you know, some people are going naked without insurance now. It still makes sense for them economically. We hope, don't we, that these new people in Florida are conservative because the home has always been, I don't know about now, not to these young people, but the home has always been the bedrock of wealth, not just financial wealth, but spiritual wealth. You got to get to a certain age to understand that. Florida growth is out of control. I've got a, let me see if I've got it here. Gainesville is one of the, of course, most expensive places to live. Absolutely in the state of Florida. I'll try to dig those up for you. Let me see if I can find that. Probably can't find it out without taking up too much time. But it ain't cheap to live here. We got over 50% of the real estate off the tax market. The university town always will be, always has been. But my next story, I want to put in a context. The city is once again wrestling with drinking. Open container, they're calling it. Are you ready? Open container. You know, when I came to the University of Florida, this was a dry county. There was no I-75. All you could drink was beer. We called it Tomcat pee because it was so watered down alcohol content. The only way you knew you had a good time was you'd thrown up because you had to drink so much and you had a headache of the Tomcat P. Bars closed at midnight. If you wanted liquor, liquor, you had to go across the county line to Henry's out in Putnam County, or you had to go south of Marion County to Ruby's. And that was the first smuggling, really. Those guys did that or fraternity parties. The first bar that really was a lounge came, as I told you before, when Mr. Posey brought Miami money to Gainesville on Southwest 13th. Great piano bar. It wouldn't come unless the city, county went wet. Well, it did. We recently had a town here go wet. 
changed it. High Springs. High Springs had been dry. So now you've got alcohol. Alcohol. And now, what are you going to do with downtown? Everybody went west when the interstate came. Downtown was this ghost, ghost city. Ghost city. So, we put Lillian's down there. Put 12 East down there. And that sort of began the downtown as kind of an entertainment center. The problem with this was that what time do you close? We don't want to close at midnight. So we closed at 2. Well, then the college student said, well, we don't want to go home at two. So then we had after-hours clubs that stayed open to four. And you could see how crazy that had been because of all the trash in the streets the next morning when the regular businesses came there. And we still had some down there then. And all this trash was in front of their curb. The old joke goes, if you want to get the students to vote locally, tinker with the bar closing time. And then they'll get involved. Other than that, there's nothing they care about. So now comes yet another conversation about open containers. It's gone back and forth. Are you allowed to walk around with a beer? No, no drinking on the sidewalk. So it goes back and forth. So now to try to rein in public drinking outside of establishments, And this is, this is the crazy part about it that I want to talk about. They've linked it to gun violence. Let me tell you something, friends. During one of those episodes when we had open drinking, open container, a few years back, we didn't have gun violence. Trace it back. If you didn't have open container, you'd have gun violence. Gun violence and drinking. These guys don't drink. They do drugs. Hardcore drugs. And they sell it. And they have territories. 
Now, they might rob somebody downtown. That's a problem. We used to have a mounted patrol. Mounted patrol helps. Got guys on bicycles. The idea comes up of an entertainment center. A kind of area that's roped off or blocked off where you can wander around drinking from bar to bar. But the problem with that is we've got a mixture of business uses. We don't have a pure entertainment district. There's only one area, and that's got the courthouse in it. There's a very small, if you want to make it, entertainment area. It would include the courthouse area. Would it not include the stage downtown, Bo Diddley? Would it not include Lillian's in that area? Well, how about the hotel? Okay, put it in there. How about Hippodrome? Okay, put it in there. But how about across Maine? No, you're not going to put an entertainment center across Maine. That's a state highway. I don't see how you're going to have an entertainment center. You got the St. Francis house down the last time I checked. That needs to go. But it hasn't. So I think you're downtown Gainesville has become too dangerous for decent people to go after dark. Students, they'll always go down there. But it's, it's sad. I think it's hurt the Hippodrome. But you got no place to park if you're going to go to the Hippodrome. You've got to go all the way around to a parking garage, which is a cavernous, dark area. Got to look over your shoulder. There have been trouble in those parking garages. But I don't think you link gun violence to open container. Gun violence is gang driven. And gang driven is hardcore drug driven. Now, to the extent that 
a drug dealer can sell to a college student at night downtown, maybe there's a relationship. But what bothers me about conversations about gun violence in open container? Open container is not a problem. Nobody got killed on open container. Gun violence is the problem. So address alone the gun violence and stop saying it's tied to open container because it's not. What is it? Well, I've been thinking about this some. I want to share this with you. I've watched Hamas. Hamas is all young males, as nearly as I can tell. I had a student when I was at the college, a female from a Middle East country. I won't tell you which one. She was an excellent student. And she used to come by the office and we chat about issues that sort of got started in the classroom discussions. And I always learned a lot from her because she was from a different part of the world. She was a different student from the ones I was teaching or just from here, down the road. I knew nothing about different parts of the world. And as she sat talking to me, She says, the biggest problem in the Middle East is we have all of these young males with nothing to do. With nothing to do. They don't get involved with school. They don't get involved with charitable work, athletics, no athletics. And they're dangerous. They're easily influenced. They join radical groups. Now, this has been this conversation with this young lady probably took place 15, 20 years ago. I've never forgotten it. And she said, that's going to be the powder keg in the Middle East. Until those societies find some way to siphon off, really it boils down to the sexual energy. It was her, it was her, her point, her, her point. 
frustrated sexual energy of young males in the Middle East, you're not going to have any peace. Now, I don't find a lot of difference between a young male in downtown Gainesville selling fentanyl than I do with one on a powder keg in the Middle East, although I know you're mixing the religious component and you really got fuel added to the fire. Here, it's just sheer unemployment, lack of education, lack of family life, lack of a father. Open container got nothing to do with that. I mean, I don't know what you think about that, but those kind of those are kind of my thoughts. <clears throat> I haven't really taken it much further than that, but I think of it. I think of her conversation. Every time I see images of these young males throwing rocks. I mean, throwing rocks. What's, what's that all about? And then locally, I want to call attention to Dr. Ben Sass. If you recall, when he was chosen to be the president, the faculty unions, the student organizations came out and fried him, you know, Let's, we don't want any of it. Jason Riley, who writes and thinks as well as anybody you'll read, mentions by name Ben Sass in his column which says Hamas war shows us what American universities stand for. And he's writing about radical campus politics who came out and endorsed Hamas and criticized the Jews. But he mentioned Ben Sass by name in his column. Here's what he said. Ben Sass, president of the University of Florida, takes Hamas at its word and was one of the few college leaders who was unequivocal in his response to the attacks. Quote, I will not tiptoe around this simple fact. What Hamas did is evil and there is no defense for terrorism. This shouldn't be hard, end quote, he wrote. And Riley shows that to be the exception 
among college leaders who did not have the stars to say that. And I did a little research on Ben Sass. I found some interesting things. He's the son of a high school teacher and football coach. Interesting. In he went to in, in, in Nebraska, Plain View, Nebraska. Plain View, Nebraska. You can't make it up. Isn't it amazing? Now he went on. He graduated from Harvard. He went to the University of Oxford. He has a Master of Arts in Liberal Studies. He has a Master's in Philosophy. A PhD in History from Yale. By all rights, he should have come out a Liberal. He should have come out a screaming lefty. Except, since this is Kotog locker room at the beginning of the show, I submit to you that that father, who was a football coach, had a lot to do with keeping Ben Sass' head on his shoulders straight. Don't you think? Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.